I was driving and I actually looked up at the heavens and said, really, this is how you show me my new path? But can you please stop taking out my children? And over the course of helping both girls fully recover, and they did fully recover, one of them took a year, one of them was about three to four months, I really brought nutrition into their healing plan and then took them to every single other appointment with physios and for Reiki and craniosacral, etc., etc., to help them heal. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. So the question today is, what is your health worth? You know, today more than any time in history, we are more sick, we are more ill, our immunity systems are eroded. And so today's guest, Melissa Dealey, was going to be talking about that and the importance of the concept of functional medicine, which basically means we go right back down to the roots. Many of you know that I have a diploma in nutrition genetics and that when I was doing work in the agricultural field, we always went back to the, what's the root cause that's contributing to the condition that is present. We didn't try to treat it with drugs unless it was the only case is usually when it was an infection of some sort, but otherwise you wouldn't use quote, quote, statins to lower cholesterol or something like that. So very, very fascinating, interesting story and how Melissa's working with individuals to help them as really a registered um, nutritionist and just helping the health professionals really think about what their lifestyle's like. And on that note, one of my passions, of course, is health and wellness. And we created our own online course based on our stress indicator and health planner called Dying to Live. And so this is a step-by-step overview of our assessment. So it includes the assessment, helps you to identify your stress uh, levels in five different categories, helps you to uh, look at what some possibilities are that you could change like immediately. And I take you through in this online course, uh, really a a video-based framework to respond to every one of the questions that we have in the assessment. So think about that. If stress is bothering you, if you want to improve your health, your fitness, your wellness, then that is the course to consider. And if you're somebody that you care for and love and you want them to improve it, maybe it's something you can do together and jointly uh, have a challenge to be able to improve uh, your health and wellness. Now, as always, uh, we thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. Now, the other side is we're always looking for amazing guests that just can rock it for our show. And if we think about what are our topics, we're really talking about the secrets of success in life. So our strategies, health and wellness, leadership, communications, relationships. So really everything to do around that personal professional development segment. And so if you have that, make sure you pass that off to us. Our email address is info at crgleader.com. Get that to us and we look forward to hear from you. So here we are with Melissa's Dealey Show and uh, have a listen. And hopefully by the end of it, you'll have some ideas and some things to do to improve your health and wellness. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, you know that one of my passions is health and wellness. And with a diploma in nutrition genetics, I just say, hey, listen, people, let's get our lives together on our 
health and wellness area so we can really live a fulfilled life. It's not much fun not being well. And today we're going to talk about some of those things. We're going to talk about chronic illness. We're going to talk about some of the things we need to consider to have a healthier lifestyle and a healthier life. So welcome to the show, Melissa Dealey. Is that really you or is that Dealey? It's really Dealey me, Ken. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's nice to have you on, Melissa. And we're, you know, we're part of sort of a podcasting network kind of group, mastermind group. And it's just nice to have some of the network kind of hang out with us together. So, and, and you also live in one of my favorite places in the world, in Whistler, British Columbia. For those of you who are listening around the world, that's where the 2010 Olympics were held. And uh, I mentioned once in a while that we have a, a condo up there, a timeshare, and we go up there every summer and just love the mountain. And it was, you know, one of those small world stories to just discover that you know exactly where I live within Whistler, which is awesome. <laughs> That's right. And maybe not exactly the house. Oh, I know I have the house number here in front of me, but I'm not going to give it out in the show. So with that being said, Melissa, what we'd like to do is we really want to hear about a person's story and journey before we get into some of your expertise and passion about wellness. So that being said, you know, before we got on the air, you said you were actually born in Australia. That's right. So, and I know I don't sound Australian, but I was born in Sydney, Australia, and moved to Japan on my sixth birthday, and lived in Tokyo for the next ten years. And when you know, you're that's at, a lot of responsibility for a six-year-old to live on their own in Japan, <laughs> isn't it? I'm just this amazing person, right? Packed my bags and took off. No, my dad worked for Encyclopedia Britannica, which is funny to talk about now, but we had all of those different series of Britannica books in our house, and the head office for uh, Australasia was Tokyo, and it just happened to be my sixth birthday that we moved there, and we went for three years and loved it, stayed for five, seven, and then it was ten years, and over that time, I lost my Aussie accent, and just it became a malleable accent to whomever was most around me. So what was it like uh, being a six-year-old? And, you know, I've been to Australia, and we think about, if we scroll back in the time, pretty homogeneous kind of society there. And you go into Japan. So what was that culture like, that shift for you as a six-year-old? You know, it's really fascinating because I have this very distinct memory of the night before we flew to Tokyo, staying in the hotel in Sydney and sitting on my dad's lap, where he told me that, Every person in Japan had black hair and brown eyes and brown skin. And our family's all very fair, blonde, and blue-eyed. And that just blew my mind. I couldn't imagine, I just couldn't imagine what that would look like and how would I tell people apart. But obviously, as a six-year-old, you know, we're very resilient little people and get to Japan and started school. And that was a little traumatic to start because I was, Coming from Australia, I had just started first grade, and I was going now into the end of first grade because it was April, and they all knew how to read, and I didn't. But um, I went into first grade again the following September, and from then on, you know, as a family, we thrived. We were open to the change, open to exploring a new culture. My brother and I learned the language. My father learned the language at work. My mom tried. She didn't have the same kind of opportunities, but we loved it there. Uh, and over the 10 years there, I really noticed a difference between the people who loved it and the people who didn't. And the people who didn't were just not as open to experiencing and embracing a new culture. 
Mm. Now, you said your brother. Is your brother older or younger? He's two years younger. And how did he manage? He would have been four years old. Wow. Yep. He probably barely even, he probably doesn't even remember Australia. Uh, no, he does because he lives there again now. After 10 years, we moved back to Australia. Um, mm. And we went back every two years to visit family. So we always knew Australia was home. But he was the total white blonde child with white skin. And the Japanese just loved him and always wanted to touch his hair. And, you know, as young children at that age, we really just follow our parents' direction. And if they, if their signals are that they're relaxed and life is good, then we pick up on that. And if they're stressed out, then children pick up on that too, right? So we were very fortunate that our parents, you know, moved there and started meeting people and making a life and enjoying it, and we did too. And then, interestingly, my mom decided we two children were growing up too fast, and I have two younger sisters that were both born in Tokyo, and so they have Japanese middle names as part of wow. their heritage. Yeah. Now, do they have uh, Japanese status as residents or, or citizens? No, they don't. And at the time that they were born, it wasn't allowed. You had to have a Japanese father, but now you can have a Japanese father or mother, so they didn't have either, so they have no Japanese citizenship, although one of my sisters did go back and live there for almost 10 years and was planning to apply for permanent residency, but then the tsunami happened, and so she left. Oh, I see. So how old are your sisters? Now? Yes. So now they are 42 and 44. Awesome. So pretty cool that you have that. So you took care of your little sisters, of course, Make sure that you watch over them when you were there. Now, what was causing your dad to stay longer? He just was enjoying it. It was a great opportunity. He, I suspect he had to fly around uh, that area to do his job. He did travel a fair bit, and sometimes my mom went too, and those were not times that I enjoyed. I really didn't like having both my parents away at the same time, and we always had to have um, a sitter or a nanny come in and stay with us. But... Over the course of our life there and our 10 years there, living the expat life is a pretty nice life to live. You know, the business was paying for our international schooling, educations, our rent. We were members of, you know, the Tokyo American Club, which I used to be a swimmer and a lifeguard and did a lot of sports there. And we were also part of a really close-knit community. And, of course, as human beings, we need connection. And when you move to a foreign country where the language is different and the culture is different, you do naturally seek out people that still can easily communicate with you and have some semblance of understanding of your heritage. And so we had a lot of other expat friends there. And I think that's a big part of what drew me to Whistler, this small town, tight-knit community that I'd had and grown up with in Tokyo. And as I said earlier, I came here for one season and stayed for 30 years because I found that tight-knit community again, which is what I've grown to love and really appreciate. Well, we'll come to that here. You skipped over a couple of years on me. So we'll, we'll, we'll link in through the back door. So you finished the 10 years. You go back to Australia. How, how old were you? You were 16 then? I was 16 then, and that was the harder transition. Explain. Because as a teenager, first of all, and secondly, in moving back to a place that is supposed to be home, but you don't really know it as home. And again, I think that 
we were well prepared. My mom was smart enough to say, you know, it's not exactly like you might think it's going to be when you're there on holiday versus when you live there, right? But just going into a private girls' school in Sydney um, compared to the international school in Tokyo, there was a lot more freedom and we were treated more as adults and with more respect, I think, by the administration and the teachers in the school in Japan versus the one in Australia where it was a much, much larger school and there was just a whole lot of control mechanisms in place. So that was a huge adjustment for me. But we lived at the beach and so that was a big win, just, you know, living on the northern beaches of Sydney. And finished high school, just wanted to get out of that school and then went to university and completed a commerce degree at the University of New South Wales. And after that, what did I do? I did what every other Aussie does and I took off traveling around the world. And I headed initially back to Japan in the heyday of teaching English there and making a lot of money mm. to fund travels around the rest of the world. And then headed over to Europe and Africa and also came down the east coast of the U.S. And that was my first time coming to uh, Vancouver. And I fell in love with Vancouver and knew I wanted to come back. And so I got a work, I applied for a working holiday visa so that I could. And when that visa came through is when I came back after traveling around Africa and moved to Whistler for one season. And here you are 30 years later. And now, here I am. Uh, what part of Africa were you in? I traveled from Nairobi, Kenya, all the way down to Harare, Zimbabwe, over two months. And it was a camping safari on a great big blue truck, blue being the color of UN and signifying peace, with a company called Kamuka. And it was an incredible experience. We were there during the migration of the wildebeest and it was absolutely amazing how did that even come into your radar like i'm fascinated by people say well we just did this tour and you know in africa for two months like how did you what even uh, prompted the thought about doing it well so that's a funny story <laughs> so when i was arriving in london from continental europe as an australian I thought, I'm part of the Commonwealth country. I can come in here and get a two-year work visa and stay, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I just expected. I thought it would be easy. And in fact, there was a Canadian in front of me in line who I heard the fellow give him a two-year visa. And then it's my turn in immigration. At, at, I came in at Dover, and the fellow says to me, two weeks. And I said, huh? I'm Australian. I'm part of the Commonwealth. Can't I stay longer than two weeks? And he said, nope. And I went, okay. <laughs> and then the next day I went to a travel agent because I had to go somewhere in two weeks and I had no idea where I was going. And I'm in the travel agent looking at all the brochure racks on the wall. And I remembered being in uh, Vienna earlier in the year and meeting a woman who had just come from Africa and done a two-month safari there. And my eye landed on the Africa or African brochures. And that just triggered that memory. And I went, oh, my God, this is the perfect time. I can go to Africa. I have to go somewhere. So I did. I went to Africa for two months and came back in. And then that time around, I actually got the two-year visa for the U.K., but in between, I'd also received my working holiday visa for Canada. So I ended up continuing on and coming here. Cool. Well, it's interesting how synchronicity or just a single event, uh, which seems happenstance, then leads to other activities. So those are always fascinating. So you get your two-year uh, working uh, visa for Canada. 
And now, did you come here right away, or did you head back to Australia before you came to Whistler? No, I came right away because I was trying to get um, employed as well. I needed work after all of this travel, and Whistler Blackcomb, although it wasn't Whistler Blackcomb at the time, they were two separate mountains. I think it was Whistler Mountain I'd written to, said that if you want to work for us this winter, you have to be here in October. And so when I got back from Africa, I think I had about a month in London where I did actually work in a jelly bean and chocolate shop for that month. And then I got on a plane and came here October 4th. Cool. Now, uh, what was your job when you first got to Whistler? I worked for guest relations at the, uh, not only at the bottom of the mountain, there was a few different places, but the main new guest relations hub, it was new at the time, was in the village because the main village gondola had just been installed the year before. And sometimes I worked at the top of the mountain doing ski school bookings, and sometimes I worked at Creekside in the shack near the old Dusties and the you know great big open parking lot. And when I got here, it was the heyday of Japanese travelers coming here, and I was hired on the spot because I speak Japanese. And they loved that and needed that. And since you were fluent, boy, just uh, right away, you were job security forever, pretty near or at least for that moment for a while. In fact, I was invited up for an interview, and it was, if you remember back, you would probably know this, but there was a great big landslide on the highway, and the highway was closed in October of 1990. And Mm. so I had to get up here on the train, and when I got off the train, I went to my interview, and they literally, at the end of the interview, handed me a uniform and said, you are starting work this afternoon, and here's some money to go buy yourself (laughs) some necessities, and this is Linda, your new roommate, and on the weekend, you can go back to Vancouver and get your stuff. (laughs) So that was, like, I literally started work the same day I had the interview, and I had brought nothing with me because I thought I was just going up and down on the train. Wow, well, congratulations. Uh, It was kind of fun. What is it about Whistler that was um, attractive to you? Because there's a lot of Aussies and people from New Zealand who come there, and of course, it's kind of the opposite temperature as you might have in Brisbane or Sydney in the environment and the snow and the mountains. uh, And there's a lot who come. So what was that was attractive to you? Well, for me, it was the opportunity to ski. My parents were actually both New Zealanders and my dad was a beautiful skier and ski patroller in New Zealand. So he taught us how to ski. And so the skiing was attractive, but, and I needed a job and now I had a job. So that was good. And, As I spent time here that October, I just really got a sense of that tight-knit community. And there was only 3,000 people living here back then, so it didn't take long to kind of feel like you knew everyone. And everyone kept saying to me, if you like winter here, you just have to stay for summer. There's even more to do, and it's even more beautiful. And I was supposed to be going to a merchant banking internship in London, And I pushed that back six months because I thought, well, I'm here. Why not stay for summer, right? And I pushed it back six months, and I stayed for the summer. And then I just realized it's ski season again. I can't leave. And so I blew off that merchant banking job because I'd been in London, as I mentioned. I'd seen the lifestyle. I'd seen the stresses. I'd seen the long hours. I'd seen the crappy diet, you know, of going to the pub every night and drinking beer and fried, eating fried food. And I knew here in this outdoor lifestyle in Whistler that I was going to be able to live a much healthier life. And I didn't even know then what I know about health and wellness now, but I knew that much to make that decision and never, ever look back. I knew I was trading off 
you know, potentially a higher income in the UK to what I was going to make here. But I had decided that my lifestyle and my health was more important and that money doesn't buy happiness. For sure. Well, thank you for that, Melissa. Now, uh, you're in your Whistler, you're there. Scroll ahead. You are now in this in this profession of really helping people with their health and wellness, getting people, you talk about betterbrainhealth.info, which is a part of your site, is where, where did that come from? Where was the drive to that? So you are, I mean, there's many of us who are interested in health and wellness, uh, but not everybody acts on it and makes it their business. So what was driving? So take us through the next few years after you got there and how you ended up where you are now. I will, and part of that includes a brand a rebranding even since I gave you that information. So <laughs> things are always on the move with me. But I, as I said, I started working at Whistler Mountain in guest relations. I moved into tourism, which is obviously a huge part of the industry here in Whistler. And for 24 years, I worked for Delta Hotels. And I worked for national sales, bringing Asian tourists to the 40 hotels across Canada and loved that job. However... Marriott bought Delta, so Big Fish bought Little Fish, and let go most of national sales. And five and a half years ago, I was told I was no longer needed. Pack up your desk. You're out of here. And not even a word of thanks. And I knew in that moment that I never wanted to work for someone else again. And whatever I did next had to be of service to the planet. I decided helping people have a better business trip or vacation wasn't really of service. And... I was absolutely open to being guided because I had no idea what I would do next after 24 years in one industry. And later that year, I was introduced to a company in Vancouver that specializes in supplementation for the brain. And I thought that was fascinating because I realized I'd never been taught how to look after my brain and I use it 24-7. And I had a grandmother at the time that was about 97 years old and still lived by herself, fully cognitively functioning. And I wanted to be like her when I grew up. But I looked at her history. She was born in little old Christchurch, New Zealand, and raised a food that they grew in their garden. And I was raised in the 70s in Japan with manufacturing plants spewing out toxins. And it made me wonder just how far behind the eight ball I was compared to her, and what did I need to do for me in order to be able to live by myself at age 97 and be fully cognitively functioning. So I decided I'd better learn about my brain and that I could help others because we had near-epidemic Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm-hmm. So I jumped into Just this. Just a sidebar so you know, Melissa, our, our background. My stepfather passed away from dementia uh, two and a half years ago. So we have a – we grew – with Harold where he went from, you know, just a momentary lapses to not even knowing who we are. So right. I, I, I get that. So we've got personal experience in that space and how horrid it is. It is. It's absolutely tragic. And so that was, I was thinking this is a way I could be of service. If I learn about this and can educate others and help others avoid that outcome, how amazing would that be? So I jumped in with both feet, started learning all about this. And of course, the other thing we have a lot of in Whistler is concussion with all the type A personalities and skiing hard and biking hard. And I started bringing this nutritional piece to the physios and they were really interested in it. And at the same time, or I should say four months later, my oldest daughter got a concussion in her grade 12 first high school soccer game of the season. And 
two months later, my second daughter got a concussion in gym class. And when I got that phone call from the school to pick her up from gym class, I was driving and I actually looked up the heavens and said, really, this is how you show me my new path, but can you please stop taking out my children? And over the course of helping both girls fully recover, and they did fully recover, one of them took a year, one of them was about three to four months, I really brought nutrition into their healing plan and then took them to every single other appointment with physios and for Reiki and craniosacral, et cetera, et cetera, to help them heal. And it made me wonder, what do other people do trying to heal from a concussion that don't have a mom that isn't working full time and can drop everything to guide this healing journey? And I realized there was a gap in the market. And I was invited to actually work in a holistic clinic here, helping other people recover from concussions because it is still a small town and a lot of people knew what I was doing. But I didn't have any certification and I couldn't get any insurance. So I went back to school and became a registered health coach. And after that, I found the integrative health practitioner certification. And that was the piece where I really found my home. Because as an integrative health practitioner, I can use uh, functional medicine lab tests to see what is truly going on inside someone's body, where they're out of balance, in order to help bring that body back into balance and have them find true healing. So it's root cause to true healing. And that all came about because the more I learned about the brain, the more I learned about the gut. And the more I learned about the gut, I realized that so much of the disease that the world is struggling with today is starting in our gut. And I wanted to learn more about that and help people um, optimize their health or recover from gut issues before they were so far down the path that they mm. couldn't recover. Well, so that's, that's a very that's long like, answer. <laughs> no, that's a very good story about how you got to where you at. I mean, you were driven, you wanted to help your own daughters, and then, of course, here you are now. I just wanted for the audience's uh, benefit, not everybody knows the word functional medicine. And what we mean by that is that I go to the root cause of what is, what is creating the condition I'm in. A lot of times, uh, you know, my friend is a medical doctor. A lot of times we said we're going to put a tag on what you have. But our interest is in functional medicine is really about what is causing it, what is contributing to it as well as you talked about holistic, of looking at all the factors that contribute to my condition. Uh, and, you know, as a person who has a diploma in nutrition genetics and used to be a nutritionist in the agricultural field, I get that. We always looked at what were the environmental things that were contributing to the condition that was there. So now you've got all these certifications and working with it. I want to just shift the show focus for the last, you know, we've got about 12 or so minutes, 15 minutes left. I really want to focus on giving the audience members specific strategies and thoughts about how to improve their wealth or wealth, their health, <laughs> uh, straight well, that'll help their uh, wealth as well, um, for them to start some of the things they need to consider, uh, Melissa, going forward from a lifestyle point of view. So a couple of things, because I, I didn't answer it a second ago, is I'm just going to come back to that rebranding. And my mm -hmm. company name, I moved it from Better Brain Health to Your Guided Health Journey with the tagline that health is your true wealth, which comes back to you just saying health and wealth. It is my belief that if we look after our health and prioritize our health, then 
everything else flows. And if we don't have our health, we can't raise our family, we can't build our business or earn an income, and we can't live our purpose and passion on this earth. And so I really want to invite people into that mindset shift of no longer taking our health for granted, waiting to get sick, going to the doctor to be given a pill. There are no magic pills. We have to actually look at why this is happening, what's going on, and do the work in order to help our bodies come back into balance and heal. And our bodies get out of balance when our toxic load gets too high, as well as for many reasons. It could be hormones. It could be gut imbalance due to bacterial overgrowth or parasites or yeast and candida. There's so many areas within our body that it wants to be in balance, and our modern-day lifestyle is pulling us out of balance with high stress and poor quality sleep. And it all comes back to being in that same place I was at five years ago. No one had taught me how to look after my brain. No one has taught us how to sleep. No one has taught us how to optimize the health of our gut. But when we know these things, we can absolutely be in a position of empowerment in our health and and be able to prioritize our health. And as you said, we are, you know, in holistic health, we are looking at the whole being. So my starting point with all of my clients is helping them discover their toxic load through a quiz that I have. And I will often ask people, are your trash cans overflowing? And I don't mean the ones you put out on the street. I mean your liver and your kidneys. Because after a lifetime of eating and drinking and having toxins get into our system from our environment and air, our liver and kidneys are getting bogged down. And we need to help empty them. Just like if your trash on the street stays out too long, it starts to rot and smell and attract bugs and it gets gross. That's actually what's happening inside our body, but we don't see it. So we don't think about it and don't do anything about it. But that triggers inflammation. It triggers cellular signals to turn on disease. So in discovering your toxic load, I can then help you empty those trash cans inside your body and detox, which is so incredibly important. And other cultures still do this to this day, whether it be Ayurvedic medicine from India or Latin American cultures or Asian cultures. It's only really... Sorry to interrupt, but you you were in Japan, which has some of the best numbers for longevity on the planet, or at least they did. Yeah, and still do, particularly down in Okinawa. And so why is that? What is, it that? what is it that people are doing to really lead, live this healthy lifestyle? So let's bring it into some practical terms. Obviously, we, we're not really permitted to do diagnosis over a podcast. But that being said, so what are some specific sort of strategies and things so that I can reduce that toxic load and start really uh, having a, a, a cleaner environment internally and externally? Right. So, well, the the toxic load is I run a program with a functional medicine liver detox. So that's something if people want to know more about, they can certainly reach out. But um, being aware of what we're putting in our body, people think that eating organic is too expensive. However, when you look at the cost of illness and lost days of work, et cetera, et cetera, down the road, is it really too expensive? What about the things that you're using in your home, the chemicals and looking at, I make a lot of things from food, you know, my deodorant, my toothpaste, et cetera, use um, woolen balls in my dryer instead of those 
um, dryer sheets, etc. So there's all sorts of things we can be doing to try and reduce our toxic load, but we're never going to get rid of it altogether. We can help our bodies by improving our sleep, learning how to sleep, making changes. Oh, hang on. Um, learning how to sleep. What do you mean by that? Again, our modern lifestyle has all these habits that are negatively impacting our sleep from being on screens. Are we using blue blocking glasses for television? Are we using night shift mode on our phones? There's an app that's free that you can put on your computer called getflux.com, just getflux.com. And the reason this is so important is the blue light from all of these screens tells our brain that it's high noon because it's the same kind of light that we get in our eyes at high noon. So our brain doesn't know to produce melatonin to help us actually get to sleep. And for every hour we're on a device, it blocks melatonin production for another half hour. And how many people are on a device for three hours in the evening? That's mm, another hour and a half before melatonin will even be produced. And yet, we go about our busy days and then get into bed and just expect sleep on demand. And that's just one thing that is negatively impacting our sleep. Our coffee intake, our sugar intake is negatively impacting our sleep. How close we eat our dinner to bedtime and is digestion completed before we lie down and go to bed? It affects our sleep. So what's your rule of thumb on that from eating to bedtime? Minimum two to three hours to allow digestion to be fully complete so that when we lie down and go to sleep, our body can now go into detox mode, which is, again, so important, as we've been talking about. And there's a lot of, um, you know, talk about intermittent fasting, right? And what's the rule of thumb on intermittent fasting? And my rule of thumb is no more than 14 hours, and particularly for women, because intermittent fasting can trigger cortisol if we go too long, and that can cause a progesterone steal and cause imbalance in our female hormones. But going 12 to 14 hours every day without eating overnight allows our body more time to be detoxing these toxins that are coming in through our day. What does, um, for, for people that are not aware of intermittent fasting, uh, it's just sort of like a micro fast. What's the benefit of doing it? The benefit of doing it is giving our digestive system a break and which lowers stress on the body in and of itself. And it, it, our digestive system uses energy. So it's great to not have to be using that energy by constantly eating. But while we're, fat, while we're intermittent fasting, I like to think of it as our little house cleaners come out and sweep up through our whole intestinal tract. Because it's not in digestive mode, it can be in cleaning mode and moves all of those, you know, even just caked food particles along the sides of our intestinal walls. And it moves it out and flushes it through our body. And when we allow it those 12 to 14 hours to do that, it can actually get a lot more done. Through the daytime, we very often, even if we're not thinking about it, are eating every couple of hours. And so it means we're eating as soon as digestion is finished. And then we're eating again as soon as it's finished. And the body doesn't have any time during the day to be doing any kind of cleaning out and moving things through our digestive tract and pushing them out of the body. Mm, mm, for sure. Now, you also mentioned uh, the culprit that affected me. Uh, so the, the listeners have heard this story before, but in 1988, I was misdiagnosed as minor depressive, put on lithium, and found out I was hypoglycemic. Uh, 
So uh, that was really in the insistence of a friend of mine to do a glucose tolerance test. Now that being said, well, what's the story about sugar in our diet? Well, unfortunately, in the, this day and age, sugar is in almost everything. And there's over 50 different names for sugar because when the public started figuring out that, you know, maybe sugar wasn't that great for us, the food companies started just coming up with new names for it to put it in the food. So processed food is loaded with sugar. And sugar triggers insulin spikes. And it ends up putting us on a roller coaster throughout our day because it gives us quick energy but it's also gone quickly. So a couple of hours later, we're crashing and our brain is asking for more energy and we reach for more sugar for that quick energy. And it just takes our body up and down throughout the day. And it's causing weight gain because when we've got insulin spiking, our body is no longer producing hormones that tell us when we're full or that help us burn fat. And instead, we're storing this extra fat that is triggered as a result of insulin being switched on all the time is triggering type 2 diabetes which is nearly epidemic in this day and age and it's so addictive there's been testing that's done that shows that sugar is actually more addictive to humans than cocaine and no I'm not recommending you go and have cocaine instead I'm recommending that you be really aware of this and try to get it out of your diet and it's very hard to get it out cold turkey because it triggers cravings. And so you need to be removing sugar from your diet in a step-by-step -step basis. And again, that's something that I teach. I have a 28-day kick the sugar habit program that where I take people slowly through different phases of releasing different types of sugar from their diet. And not all sugar is bad. Fruit is, you know, made, has lots of natural sugar in it. And when we eat that sugar... In the whole fruit, we're also getting fiber from the fruit, and that slows that insulin spike. But if we're drinking fruit juice that is full of fructose and sugar and none of the fiber, that is going to be spiking our insulin. Yeah, so much for the benefits of apple or orange juice, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just like uh, just doing an IV drip of sugar for sure. Completely. And it's, you know, we were taught you start your day with a glass of orange juice. It's healthy. And the reality is it's not. <laughs> you don't want to be starting your day with a glass of orange juice. And, you know, energy drinks are loaded with sugar. There's so much sugar in our drinks. So that's something else I teach is don't drink your sugars. If you're trying to get them out of your food, you also have to be aware of not drinking them as well. Mm. Now, if you can believe it, we only have a few minutes left and we guess we've got to start wrapping up. But that being said, first of all, um, what is the uh, contact info or places that people can find out about you, Melissa, and your work? And if they want to reach out to you, uh, where would they go do that? So my website is www.yourguidedhealthjourney.com. And if anybody is interested in working with me and being proactive in their health and learning how to do that, often we want to do it and we don't know where to start, I offer a complimentary 30-minute uh, session. And you can just click on the Work With Me button at the top of my website to book that. And then I'm also on Facebook as Your Guided Health Journey, on Instagram as Guided Health Journey, and on LinkedIn as Melissa Dealey. And if anybody wanted to just email directly, it's simply melissa at yourguidedhealthjourney.com. Well, we'll make sure your website is in the show notes. Now, I just want to spend a couple of minutes. Melissa, I'm listening to this show. I appreciate it. I I'm uh, agreeing with you. Give me two or three things to 
make sure I'm doing kind of start this journey off. Uh, I might be doing it, I might not be doing it, but now I'm your client. You're coaching the listeners. What are the two or three things that you want me to start with, regardless of sort of my current condition? You want to make sure I'm doing this. Well, the first one is definitely discovering your toxic load. And when we know what the toxic load is, then we know how long of a detox your body needs to go through. And it's amazing how fast the body will start to heal when we set up the right conditions for it to heal. And within seven days, I guarantee no matter what you have going on, you are going to start feeling better, sleeping better, have less brain fog, more energy. And doesn't everybody want that? So that is always my starting point. What is your toxic load? And uh, we can drop a link to the quiz into the show notes as well, if you like, Ken, Mm -hmm. and people can discover that. And, you know, do an assessment of what does my daily life look like? How much sleep am I getting? Am I getting seven to nine hours of sleep? Am I prioritizing it? Am I scheduling my day around it? And that's probably something most people don't think about. Sleep is absolutely critical to our wellness. And I have people that have been diagnosed with depression, but when they come and work with me and we just get them sleeping again, it can lift them out of that very quickly. Mm. And they're shocked that it really just came down to their poor sleep. Um, Let's look at nutrition. And I work with people and I bust up myths and help you figure out what's the right way to eat for you. Most people probably don't realize that there are as many diets on this planet as there are people. That means you need to find the unique way to eat for your body. It's not about just going off and doing the keto diet because everybody else is doing the keto diet. It's about figuring out what foods give you energy and how to um, support your body in the best way possible. And I work with people to help them figure that out. There's some foods that may be healthy but aren't healthy for you. And understanding that helps you move forward and get out of a place of inflammation from eating foods that you think you should be eating but are not serving your body. So food, sleep, detoxing are really great starting points for every single person. Well, Melissa, I'm, obviously we could spend another hour and start uh, delving into the details more and you know, maybe at some time in the future. But thank you for hanging out with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this and hope I've provided value to the listeners. Well, you have, and so thank you for hanging out with us. So you've been listening to Melissa Dealey in your guidedhealthjourney.com. We'll make sure that's in the show notes. You know, when when we think about life, uh, and for sure, thank you, Melissa, for being with us, is if you don't have your health, what do you have? Really not much. And I remember an old, old saying, you've heard it before, if I knew I was going to lived this long, I would have taken better care of myself. And a lot of us, we just kind of get going until something strikes us or occurs or a heart attack or a stroke, and then we might do something about it. So the reality is, is a lot of us are sleep deprived. Those little beautiful phones that we love to be addicted to are just um, sucking our brains out, literally, and affecting our sleep. So think about what is it that's most important to you to be able to be well and contact Melissa if this is something that you're interested in. Now, as always, we thank you for sharing your most valuable commodity with us, and that's your time. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on. Please leave a positive comment or rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes.
thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.